All right. Good evening and welcome to our first uh, kickoff meeting uh, for Transportation 2050. Um, feels a little bit unreal to say that, but we are nearing the end of the life of our current transportation plan called Transportation 2040. And we'll chat a little bit about that tonight and your role and to really get this, um, the beginning parts of this process started. Well, thank you for being here. We're gonna give you an opportunity um, to go around um, the Zoom screen and introduce yourself. Um, my name is Jessica Mortinger, for those of you that do not know me, and I'm the Transportation Planning Manager for the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Organization, and we're responsible for regional transportation planning in Lawrence and Douglas County, and so one of the main documents that we're required to produce is this Transportation 2050. Um, Paul, how about you next? All right, Paul Hornbeck with the... Uh... Douglas, Lawrence Douglas County, MPO. Um, sorry, I was trying to look at my list. Um, Allison? Um, Allison Smith, the Kansas Department of Transportation. Okay, Adam? Good evening, Adam Michael, uh, Transit and Parking Manager for the City of Lawrence. All right. Um, August. Hello, August Budisol. Uh Representing PTAC, correct? Oh, yeah, sorry. PTAC yes. member. Okay. Um, David Carter. Uh, yeah, David Carter. I'm a city appointee on the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Um, Daniel Berlin. We'll go next. Oh, sorry, my list keeps moving as people are joining. Dot Neri. Hi, I'm Dot Neri, and I'm the current chair of the Healthy Built Environment Work Group for Live Well Douglas County. Um, Edward. Okay, um, Gregory Shanklin. Hi, Greg Shanklin. I'm a county appointee to the Planning Commission. All right, um, Josh. Uh, land representative and vice president for that, and then also representing with Pingney Neighborhood Association by President Ayer. Okay. Uh, Laura? Laura McCulloch, I'm with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. Okay. Uh, Mandy? Hi, I'm Mandy Infield. I'm representing um, the Human Services Coalition and the United Way. Um, and the Human Services Coalition is no longer called the Human Services Coalition, but its name is so new I do not have it memorized yet. Um, I haven't so, even heard your new name, so we'll look forward to hearing that. Yeah, yeah hopefully I'll learn it soon. <laughs> All right, Matt G. Hi, 
Hi, I'm Matt Goff. I'm with Barbara Emerson Law Firm, and I represent the Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. Thanks. Uh, Matt Roberts. Hi, Matt Roberts, Lacombe City Council. All right. Nice to see you. Mike Wachowski. Yeah, that's me. I'm Mike Wazikowski, most relevant to this. I chair uh, PTAC for the city of Lawrence. All right, Pat. Hi, I'm Pat Collette, and I'm a member of the uh, Multimodal Transportation Commission and representing MMTC. Okay, and Scott? Scott Keltner. I represent the say, Douglas County Metro Planning Organization, the MPO Bicycle Advisory Council. There it is. Perfect. And then I didn't hear from Daniel or Edward. So if you either of you wanted to introduce yourselves. Um, I see. If anybody else joined us that I missed on the list, now would be the time if you'd like to introduce yourself as a steering committee member or a member of the staff advisor team. Okay. Hey, Jessica, this is Chad Boyd, Douglas County Public Works. Right. Welcome, Chad, thank you. So hopefully you can see through the introductions as we begin to talk about um, the steering committee um, and the role of the steering committee and the staff advisors. We've included that roster and makeup of the committee that the Metropolitan Planning Organization established to guide the staff work in updating transportation 2050. Um, Please feel free to indicate by raising your hand if you have questions. Tonight's gonna to be a lot of us sharing some of the documents we've put together so far and telling you about this process. Um, I've been doing it for a while. So if I am at too high level, um, you know we don't wanna keep you too long in terms of this attention um, to just some of the details, but I wanna uh, give you a good basis for the kickoff to start this, to start this year long process to update, to update the plan as you guide, help us guide staff work. So we really um, view the role of the Transportation 2050 Steering Committee um, and staff advisors as um, to help um, guide the development of that Metropolitan Transportation Plan update um, that we are required to do. Um, and we hope that as we describe your role in a little more detail, um, through the public participation plan and how you see our um, envisionment to ensure that we're representing a diverse group of stakeholders in our community, across the cities and the county um, to represent what the visions for transportation uh, planning for all modes should be. So thinking about driving people who bike and walk, maybe those who van pool or carpool and those who um, choose a form of public transportation um, such as Lawrence Transit or KU on Wheels or any of the other paratransit and human service providers. So we'll be thinking big picture and regionally out to that 2050 uh, timeline as we, as we do this work. I realized we updated and added some links based on some of the staff advisor comments we got today, and I think we got our agenda out of order. So we talked a little bit about the role of the steering committee and staff advisors. 
We envision this process to be between four and six meetings. That's kind of how, as we continue to do our work in this realm, to check back in with you um, where we are at with materials and to get your feedback and comment to help shape the process um, and the output that we produce um, for this process. Um, we'll talk in a minute. There's a lot of very particular requirements that the feds uh, have for us that are in federal regulation about things that we must include, but we have a lot of flexibility also to ensure that we're reflecting the community vision and values. And so we're ho we hope that you're here um, for that and that we, we look for you to help play a role to guide us in that, in that work because some of the stuff that we are required to do um, can get a little technical. And so we'll try to break that down as simple as possible to create something that can we can put everybody on the same page. As I was mentioning on the agenda, I'd like to move the discussion about the public participation to the end. Um, and let's talk about the what a metropolitan transportation plan is for requirements and guidance from our state and federal partners. So for transportation uh, 2050, we have a pretty specific list of requirements we must meet. You can look at Transportation 2040 and get a skim through that document and get a pretty good idea of what those are. Um, but big picture, they're looking for a 20-year time frame covering um, multimodal transportation. You're looking for some clear goals and objectives, um, an identification. The last plan we did was the first performance-based plan that we did. So if you have, if you scan through that document, you'll see some of the performance reporting that we've created around that and our chance to continue to update those or evolve those as we need to in the region, both, both based on federal requirements and local preference. Um, we have a requirement to really make sure that this plan is fiscally constrained. And what they mean by that is you have to uh, easily show um, in a comprehensible manner that you have enough resources projected for transportation funding to fund the projects um, that you're proposing in your list of banded of years um, to do over the course of your plan. And so while many um, transportation plans might be a wish list um, of all the needs. We can show all the needs, but then we must very carefully refine that um, to show what's realistic for us to achieve, um, particularly for um, th those projects and what we see in terms of being um, feasible. We have some requirements to look at the potential impacts of those projects in relationship to our community environmental justice zones, which are census-defined block groups um, with low or uh, moderate income populations and minority populations. And so as we get into more of the work we're doing, we will break down and try to show um, some of those impacts. We have to consider other things um, such as environmental sustainability impacts, looking at regional land use goals, um, all through a process that must also engage the public. And that will be consistent with um, our public participation plan. Any thoughts or questions about that? I threw a lot of stuff at you. Okay. Please feel free to email me later if you think of something as you as we get into this. So, Jessica. Um, we'll Yes. I, I had a few questions about okay. the plan, minor things, but I thought I would just email you um, okay. with a few questions instead of taking sure. time now. Thanks. Okay. 
Absolutely. That's that's an acceptable thing, too. And we can point you to resources that um, exist also if there's other things that are um, relevant to that process. So. Um, one of the things we do in the years, since we're required to update this plan every five years, our current plan has an expiration date um, in March of 2023. And so we'll be working over this next year period to complete a new plan before our current plan expires. Um, the reason why we have to do that is to ensure that we can continue the flow of federal money um, into our region. So our region, cities and counties get um, all sorts of different programs of federal money, both formula funding that's calculated based on different formulas and also competitive funding. So things like um, transit vehicle acquisition for electric and low to no emission vehicles look more competitive or some of the build or raise grants you may have recently seen that are going to be rolling out as part of the larger um, build back better infrastructure uh, program. And so we'll be learning about more of those as, as time comes. Um, to do that. But that's kind of the role of this planning process. And so some of it gets really technical into some of the projections we'll do around travel demand modeling and understanding how land use impacts and future projections about growth in the community are set to impact our transportation network. Paul, do you want to show our draft timeline for this process? Sure, I'll pull that up. All right, so as Jessica mentioned, we have to have this plan approved and adopted by next March, so a little under a year from now. So we'll be on a fairly accelerated schedule. The, the first phase that we're off within the next couple of weeks will be public engagement, trying to understand people's experience with transportation. Um, so that includes some, uh, well, a survey that we have been developing and we'll share with you later tonight in a few minutes. Um, also stakeholder interviews, which we'll, we'll go over that in more detail as well. And we will also be drafting the kind of existing conditions um, over the next, next few months, spring into summer. And then we'll have a, a second round of public engagement uh, more towards fall, where we'll be reviewing the existing conditions and then selecting preferred scenarios We'll also have a draft of the multimodal strategies and project implementation for review in the fall. And we'll also have steering committee and other planning partner review of this draft plan in the fall. And then in the winter, we hope to have public comment on the, on the full plan and then adoption in March. So we, we're envisioning the steering committee meeting probably five to six times over the next year. Um, once in the spring, summer, fall, and winter, and maybe others as needed. So that's, that's kind of where we're headed schedule-wise. So that will serve as our starting point, I think, really to get started on um, kind of what you can expect to see um, in each of the meetings, what we'll be bringing to you as we work through the public process um, that we envision for this consistent with our public participation plan. And I'll have Paul at this time, let's talk about a little bit about that public participation plan and show you an important slide, I think, on the plan that kind of highlights 
Um, the tone I think the community expects about public um, engagement. So this process, you, you can see um, under MPO activity and all the way under collaborate, um, you can see the MTP, which is this, trans that's a metropolitan transportation plan, so transportation 2050. Um, it's in this realm. And so we really envision um, you as a steering committee to be partners with us, to uh, provide us advice and innovation and incorporate um, as much as the uh, vision and feedback we get from you into the decisions um, of the plan. Um, as we make decisions together um, to document uh, this process. It includes then all of these tools. Um, so we mentioned already some stakeholder interviews, which is one tool that we have to do public engagement. We have many others, open houses, surveys, this document details all of those, you know, email subscriptions, social media, fact sheets, neighborhood newsletters, onboard surveys on transit. There's a plethora of uh, options that we have to do techniques to use for engagement. And so um, we're going to talk about a few really high level ones tonight as we build out the first phase of public engagement for this plan, as Paul mentioned, to learn about user experiences um, on, on a collective level to really understand um, where people feel like their experience is and how we can use that to shape um, some of the work we envision for the future. We will be using across the board many of the many of these strategies as we go through this process at some different points in time. And so our toolbox really lays out the appropriateness of that, of each tool and how it can be used um, in this process. So we really do, um, not all of our um, engagement opportunities that we do across to the MPO transportation planning are at that same level, but um, for this plan, this is one of the most wide reaching, um, like some of the mode specific bike or ped plans, if you've seen those processes before, Safe Routes to School, um, en encompassing activities that we do. So we'll wanna really spread our wings and make sure people have the opportunity to, you know, to consult with us around um, some of their vision and experiences and give us some of their priorities at a later time with decisions. But we really view you in this collaborate role. And so across the spectrum, We'll be engaging um, with diverse stakeholders to ensure that we're meeting the intent of reaching out to vulnerable um, populations and not just the people who will automatically click the link and um, take a survey and they have the privilege to do that. So we will really attempt to um, follow the intent of this plan, which is to ensure that we are representing a diverse range of voices in our planning process. Paul, do you wanna to go to the stakeholder list and share that? So we started with this list. This is the high level list of all the stakeholders um, that we used for the transportation 2040 process. Um, and so we have updated, uh, you know, we've obviously a lot of the positions and contacts we had for these um, positions have turned over. So we're doing some research and following up with some of that. But I would ask you at a high level to, to skim through and kind of take a look at this list. Um, we do a couple different strategies. Previously, we've worked with other advisory and steering committees to um, go to committee meetings and engage with committees that um, relate to transportation long-range planning and talk to them about 
about visions um, and direction they'd like to see with through the list, kind of the list of the questions we have identified when we get to talk about um, those interviews. But then we have some other agencies, um, special interest groups, maybe that's freight or historic resources or environmental or representative users of bike ped groups or um, people with disabilities or human service providers, um, some of which through the Human Services Coalition um, and participation, some of it through our mobility planning or senior resource center um, or other service providers. Um, you can see the, the community chambers and engaged in this. And so some of you represent these roles on our steering committee, but also this reaches out a little bit further to make sure that we're um, talking to a diverse range of people, one, to ask them when we get into our surveys to how to best talk to their clients or user groups, um, besides just an at-large survey if we need to be tabling somewhere, um, thinking about within high schools or at Just Food or on the bus or at, um, you know, a grocery store. Um, and so we'll be looking for those opportunities with these partners, not only just through our interviews, but finding ways that we can make sure that we're um, hearing from a diverse group of people. So we would welcome you to look at this, whether it's tonight or um, you know, in the near future to tell us if you think someone is missing from this list um, or, could, or should be added. We are welcome to, to do that and reach out to them to see how they would like to be engaged, whether it just be an in-person or a Zoom you know, 30 minute interview to ask them some of our questions or um, to work with their um, constituents to help us get larger engagement. And so we would like to have those conversations. Um, and so if you I let anybody add, say, if you have seen anybody not on the list or added now or ask any questions about how we uh, do that work. May I? <clears throat> uh, I, this is this is Dan Berland. Uh, I'm the dean of students of Haskell Indian Nations University, and uh, I think that uh, our our, our uh, I, I would I would love to have a, a a meeting with you, and I could I could arrange uh, for uh, members of student government to be there uh, for uh, for uh, some of our counselors, um, uh, whatever whatever would be useful. Um, Okay, we will definitely- I'll, I'll send you an email. Okay, that would be great. And we'll follow up because I think we'll have some opportunities. Maybe we would wanna do outreach with Haskell and Haskell students in your great, great. population for sure. Thank you. Thank you. So as we go through this process, if we find other groups that aren't on our list, we will continue to add um, and reflect on the feedback we get both from our staff advisors, but also the steering committee. We'll try to leave no stone unturned um, to do some of that work. We will definitely need the help of some of our stakeholder partners um, to do this work. Um, just with recognizing we have two full-time staff um, and an intern who will be working on developing this plan. Um, and so it's an ambitious project for us. And um, so it will be really important in order to get, you know, some of the diverse feedback we need to um, 
lean on our staff team for some support and help, but also hopefully um, you can help us through some of your channels in doing that as well. Paul, are you ready to go to the interview questions? So as Paul presents these, um, this is kind of, these are the tools we intend on using and we revise this based on some comments we got from our staff advisors. Um, but we'd be happy to have a conversation as Paul kind of reads through these and understands what we're looking to ask um, as we go, we get into these interview processes. And if you think we're asking the wrong questions or we should tweak the question or we're missing something or too much, um, we'd be happy to have that conversation with you. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, so I'll, I'll read through these uh, and pause after each one. Feel free to, to jump in with any comments um, or put in the chat, whatever works for you. So, so number one, what pedestrian, bicycle, automobile, or transit projects, programs, or policies have been most successful since 2017? And then next question, what top three pedestrian, bicycle, automobile, or transit projects, programs, or policies are most needed in the next five years? Well, I'm sorry, did you want us to give feedback after each question or wait until the end? So you're well, I think he was thinking when he made a pause, if you had thoughts about the question that we could talk about the question. Okay. Um, this is Mandy Enfield here. Um, and just looking at the stakeholder list and processing who's on it um, that you just talked through. And then these questions, I, I think that um, some of the stakeholders might not have the expertise to um, answer these questions without prompts. I, my, myself, I think I'd be, I would struggle to think about what projects, programs, or policies have been most successful since 2017 um, without some context. That's helpful, Mandy. I think we had a conversation with the staff team that maybe, um, because these are gonna be in-person conversation interviews, it's not like we're asking someone to fill this out, that for the people, the staff doing these interviews, we would um, type what we would consider a list of some high-level things that people could, can, could consider. We wanna be a little bit careful not to be too leading, Right, um, right. But because these are open-ended also, it's okay to not get an answer to everything. Somebody might say, I don't know, and that's okay also, and we can have that conversation or what's been impactful to you or what, is there anything you've noticed that has changed or those sorts of things like some follow-up questions. This also is not our public list of questions. So we have the separate link that's on the agenda, that's the survey, that's the user experience. That's the one we're saying, Mandy, if you work for you know, United Way, do you have direct consumers that we could ask the public survey questions to? And those are a little bit different and more focused on one person's individual experience where they're not being asked to kind of recall some of these high level, maybe community changes. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Thank you. This is, this is Pat Collette. I also have a comment on that that question and, and I appreciate the, the fact that, you know, you can lead in with some additional clarification, but I just wonder about the term most successful and if that um, is that, that's the best word to use in that question, because I don't know, I mean, seeing that, I, I don't know what criteria I might be using to answer the question and you might get 
you know, each person probably has some different criteria what they about what they consider successful. So I just wonder, and I, I, I'm sorry, I can't offer a suggestion right now, um, but um, and, um, I just wonder if we could think about that a little bit. Was most was impactful, sorry. I, I just wanted to follow on, on Pat's comment here. Um, if this is to be a conversation, um, you might build the conversation by starting with question three, which does uh, at, at least provide an interpretation of um, the, the interviewee's measures of success. And once you do that, then you can interpret their answers to subsequent questions that ask for uh, what most, you know, what, what programs have been most successful or unsuccessful. Thank you. I think that's helpful. Matt, I saw you raise your hand. Yes, thank you. I, uh, my comment is this was an edit, the original version with the reference to transportation improvements. If you ask anybody that question, they'll probably be able to think of something that was physically done to our infrastructure. I think you could ask it in addition to asking about projects, programs, and policies. Uh, I think you'll get a more um, personal, based on a human being's experience, if you actually ask them what transportation improvements they liked or didn't like. I thought that was a good question. I'd, I'd leave it in there. Thanks. Yeah, and I, this is helpful to hear your perspective, right? We read it, we think we're going to get one thing out of a question, and it's good to hear this. And I think we have some opportunity as we go through this process. You saw there's a lot of people on the list to kind of see how it tested out, to see how it works, to kind of, are we getting the response, like what we think we need? Because um, the staff conversation kind of was around this, that transportation improvements, oh, that's kind of vague. And there may not have been built environments like like a road project or a bike or pet project, but what about transit service or what about, you know what I mean? Thinking big picture about kind of all the modes. So I'm not sure if that, that was kind of the, that was the reason why we looked at changing it. But I do think that maybe, I know public health sees programs, policies, projects, they kind of have that lens of approach, but I'm not sure that maybe it might be too technical. Yeah. David, look at you, raise your hand. Go ahead, jump right in. Thank you. Um, David Carter, Planning Commission. Um, I, I think if it is a conversation starter merely to get people to begin talking, it's, it's fine. Uh, but it, you know, I'm, I'm unsettled by the vague um, definition of success. And I'm also uh, doubtful about you know, any, any person's awareness of a pedestrian bicycle automobile or transit, yeah, I mean, the, the, the project program policy, maybe some projects, but as far as policies, you know, at what level, local, state, federal, there's just so much packed in there. I think unless you're trying to gauge the participants' awareness of any of that, 
um, you know, maybe that's a good idea just to get by, by their reaction, by what they're able to articulate, that gives you as a surveyor, as an interviewer, a good idea of how familiar they are. But if to get actual, you know, actionable information, I'm kind of doubtful about how much you can get from that question. Mandy Enfield, Mandy Enfield here, and um, David's comment gets, I think, closest to to my initial concern. Um, putting, seeing myself on the stakeholder list and envisioning how I would respond to this question, I would immediately, without context or lead in or warm up, you know, like um, information, I would maybe just state things that I've noticed, you know, like I've noticed these different transportation things and not really be understanding of what is successful. Um, I think the answers you would get are what projects are programs policies are most noticeable since 2017. Well, maybe that's a good note, a good enough indication about where people are noticing some of those things to give us an idea too, that maybe that's the question. Yeah, that, to, to understand what people, where people are in their content um, expertise. Yeah, David, again, um, I might even expect the interviewer to have like a checklist of, you know, actual programs, policies and, uh, and projects and to find out what you know, which the interviewee spontaneously mentions um, as an example. That's helpful, I think. Okay. We'll reflect on those and I think adjust those as we move on. Are we ready to move on? Go ahead, Paul. All right, so any other comments? You know, we talked number one. Uh, number two, any, anything to add or, or questions on that one? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my, uh, my thing was, uh, would it be more, uh, more beneficial to have it, the questions targeted more towards regional, local tour Lawrence itself? especially during some of the earlier questions such as one and two and three? I think the, Josh, to answer that question, I think that it's broad because we're working with stakeholders in all the cities and throughout all the areas of our county, even the unincorporated parts of Douglas County. Um, and so I think Ideally, as we're having this conversation, we can take note if people are talking about Lawrence, if that's their region, but it may also be Eudora or Baldwin City or LeCompton or um, part of the unincorporated parts of our county as we talk about transportation projects. And obviously that is gonna be very um, just specific to what someone's experience is. 
So if there's nothing else on, on two, um, number three, how do we know when our transportation systems are working? What factors would you use to evaluate our system? David, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, David Carter. I just, I think that's a great question uh, because it kind of gets at, you're, you're really getting a sense of what the interviewee knows. And getting back to this idea of metrics of success, you're starting to understand what, what they use to measure. I think that's, I just think that's a, that can help the rest of the survey a lot. Go ahead, Paul, but before you do, I was gonna say, so hopefully, Mandy, I think your perspective is good as you're thinking about it from how you would answer those as a stakeholder. And maybe the other question too, as we get into this list further is, is there something we're not asking that you think you'd like to hear the answer from, from all of our stakeholders in terms of being able to write a plan that represents um, our regional vision for transportation? So, okay, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, next question. How important should each of the following factors be when policymakers are developing transportation policies and plans for Lawrence Douglas County region and then rate them one to five? So improve safety for all users of the transportation system, make travel times more reliable, provide convenient and useful travel choices besides driving alone, reduce negative impacts on natural or built environment, reduce traffic congestion, or support economy and freight movement. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Would it be uh, appropriate to add as another choice um, whether an improvement enables uh, growth of the city or um, I mean, that may be touched upon in the supports economy and freight movement, but uh, I'm thinking in terms of um, geographic expansion of the city limits, you know, if a, if a road extension enables it, how important is that in the decision-making might be good to know just to get some feedback on that kind of question. Yeah, Matt, I think that's great. I think I would go back and look at plan 2040 and see what they asked there. And if we could use some language, maybe that they use, to be consistent about how that's framed in our long-range plan. Uh, this is Mike. I would just caution in terms of that growth. I know that we have a uh, clause in the current strategic plan for the city that we're intentionally not going to expand outside of the boundaries of like I-70 on the top and K-10 from the west down to the south. So growth in terms of physical size may not be as useful metric where growth in terms of people coming here is definitely viable, I think. Thanks, Mike. I think we'll look at plan uh, 2040 because I think they'll have some language in there that may be um, the right way to think about what we might want to know there. 
Field here, I have a comment. Go ahead. Um, I, is there a way to include um, an indicator for serving our vulnerable populations, um, improving safety, travel times, those are tangential, but um, I, I would like to see something that would say, you know, policymakers were focused on, on helping folks, low-income folks and, and folks who need, um, who might have the most barriers to using these systems. About something about affordability then. And if, yeah, affordability and accessibility. Mm -hmm. Agreed. The uh, point being that it needs to be affordable for everyone, regardless of their means. I think those are helpful. Thank you. Um, David here. Uh, in light of the multimodal nature, do you want to say anything about you know opportunities for recreation, health, and well-being? If not, yeah, like that's fine. active transportation or physical activity. Mm -hmm. We asked something similar to that on the user survey, so yeah. that we could use that same language, maybe. Okay. Right. You ready to move on, Paul? Go ahead. Yeah, next question. How can we make it easier to make connections between different forms of transportation? And the next question, how can we make it easier to commute in and out of the area? Does that mean how does it connect to other counties or I'm not sure what that means. I think for context, for some people, it's like um, in and out of the area, depending on where their what their context is, that may mean between Lawrence and Baldwin City or Baldwin City, or that may mean between Baldwin City or Lawrence and Kansas City or Topeka to access things. So I or think the airport. Or the airport, yeah, I think okay. it probably means all of those things. Do you think, based on me hearing that, me saying that, that that wording could be changed to make that more clear? Mm. Up throughout the region. Okay. Yeah, that's a little more clear. I, I also wonder about the word commute. If that will connotate um, work trips rather than you know trips to doctors or. Um, or know, museums, <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe travel instead of commute. Travel, yeah, yeah. Travel would would get it, I think, to be a little more broad. Well, they may have different solutions, right? Or would have a little bit different solutions than right. some of the recreational stuff. And then next question, maybe, how, oh, yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, maybe you want to capture that in terms of employment, you know, but, and, and so if that's the case, that would still be all right to do that, but then maybe uh, an additional question that for other trip purposes, without getting it, the questionnaire too long.
Yeah, I think that's something we can consider of commuting versus work and trying to capture both of those potentially. Um, so how can we make it easier to travel within your city? Where are you getting your information about the transportation system? Andy Enfield here, just maybe a personal um, question. But where, what would the, what would the answers to that question be? Where do you get, where would one get information about the transportation system? Well, I think that probably depends what they're talking about from a roadside sign. Do you get something from your city about a project? Are you involved in a committee? Do you receive emails? I mean, I think it really is adaptive. We're trying to, I think that question really is trying to figure out like, how do you, how do you get information about planning, but also just things that are happening related to transportation systems. So maybe you have, you know, you follow the bus app or may, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things. That's why it's kind of open-ended. Again, it's to understand how aware people are or engaged in the process already. They may be in familiarity with some of this and it's followed up by the next question, which is kind of about how can we best communicate with you? Um, so thinking about with this planning process or is there something in the information of the transportation system that's you know, an information flow issue. Do you think that is clear based on that description or do you would recommend different word wording? I really don't know. My, I keep coming at it from a bus perspective. Yeah. Um, and, a and, uh, vulnerable population perspective and I know that this survey has such a broad scope it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around um, and I think if there is language that could connect folks to the scope um, and then the definitions of of things um, the, the measurements like people we've we've spoken to on some of the other questions so the scope the definitions and then um, not, without leading folks, indicate sort of what the options are. Um, okay. Because it like we're, we're, we have the icons on this, on the plan and the icons are, um, you know, a pedestrian, a bike, a car and a bus. Um, so if, if there could be some framing for each question, like we're talking about this in the context of these, these different vehicles and we're talking about this in the context of these multiple regions and we're talking the context is just so broad it's it's tough for me to to get centered we feel that too trust us we're going to have to write a plan that it reflects kind of all of this and pulls it together in a cohesive way so i think um that's helpful for us to think about Well, and maybe it's not relevant. We ask how we communicate with you. I, I mean, probably depends on what mode they say too, right? It is relevant to that. Okay, let us think about that one a little bit more. All right, and then our last question, is there anything these questions have not covered today that you would like to tell us about the transportation system? 
So if there's nothing else, oh. Maybe yeah. in here, I really like the last question. Um, I think it's, it's a good catch all. I um, mean, maybe that's the place where you say, what have we not, what would you like to tell us about, um, you know, biking, walking, bus, and, and break it down or, or give them the opportunity to, to um, think about something that they didn't think about in the previous questions, um, catch any, any context pieces. Anything, I got a couple questions in the chat I will share in a second or conversation. So did anybody have anything we didn't ask that besides some of the things we're gonna evolve and change before we do this? I think that this conversation has helped us a lot. Is there anything we didn't ask that you think would be important for us to know? Again, this is really high level for us to identify from our broad stakeholders that we're hearing about the things that matter to them and their user groups. Um, so we can kind of reflect on that in the plan. Okay, so somebody asked, how are these questions going to be prioritized, the answers from stakeholders and the public? So this list of uh, responses will be documented um, by us and be provided back um, back to the public, but, all, but anonymously, um, and also back to this committee um, as a way that we can document the themes and issues that are occurring, like, just like um, the survey questions from the public. And we will have to, um, through this process, explore what, it, what the responses mean um, and to try to work to ensure that we're meeting the intent of the issues that people are presenting to us. And so that's going to be the navigation of this process. And as we present things back to you, we will be giving you this feedback that we received um, and also our response to it as staff. And that's where you, you, you as committee members guiding our work can help us gut check that. You can help us um, if you think we're not in the right direction, if you think it's not balanced enough, this is a collaborative process. Um, and so that's how we kind of envision um, these two different tools that give us some different input working um, in the process. All right. Um, we also had a comment on the subject of growth. Note that transportation 2050 is longer in the planning horizon because it goes to 2050 than the 20 year horizon of plan 2040. Plan 2040 discouraged growth in tier three of the urban growth area until 2040. But where does this plan, where it goes beyond um, 20 out to 2050? I believe any impact on the urban growth area is relevant and asking the importance of growth does not advocate for or against. Um, it's just a way to information gather. So I do think that's true. And as we get into the some of the conversations we'll have with staff um, from our city county planning office, we will go back and look at the population model and the land use projections made around transportation 2040. And we will have to do some work to extend those out to our year horizon of 2050 because those things will matter um, for our travel demand model. And we'll, it's a lot of detail to get into that, but we will continue to talk about that later and I'll, we'll hopefully be able to show you kind of what that means in terms of stuff. Um, somebody asked, will the results of both surveys be used to make local funding decisions or only to develop the document and meet the requirements of larger federal funding? Um, so this transportation plan, 
Transportation 2040 or Transportation 2050 is incorporated into Plan 2040. It serves as the transportation chapter of that document. So when we complete this plan, Transportation 2050, it will amend, we will go through a process to amend Plan 2040 um, to include this as that chapter. The reason we do that is because we don't, we would like to not have two plans that say different things. Um, and so the, our region, not every MPO does that. Our region um, has had that coordination for a number of years now where we want the federally adopted metropolitan transportation plan to be consistent with the comprehensive plan. And we'll go through that process, which means as the city looks, that means it will be adopted by the city. It'll be um, enforced um, through initiatives. And so as we the city gets into strategic planning, which is a more short-term implementation plan of the comprehensive plan and the transportation plan, they'll be using these documents as guiding documents for updates to all the policies, programs, projects, priorities. And so, yes, I do think in some way, um, if it is not in the plan, the if, if there is a project not in the plan, um, Fund, federal funding is not eligible for it. So there is a lot of goals to try to get consistency between those plan lists to make sure the regionally significant projects are included in the plan and eligible for that funding. Um, that's not the same level of requirement for local funding, but the goal is that we're consistent and um, working to implement the strategic plan, which is a short-term list that the city of Lawrence particularly is using for to guide budget-making decisions, would, we would want it to be consistent with the transportation adopted plan. So. Uh, this is Josh Spence. I was wondering, how are the different projects decided for the region? Are they uh, done on a point scale or on other methods? So uh, Jessica Mortinger, this plan will get into that conversation. We will look at, um, one of the things we will present is our scenarios that we develop in the travel demand modeling. And that will indicate to us a couple different things. That's gonna tell us about the level of service um, that different modes, particularly automobiles in that service can expect based on the projected growth that we have with the existing transportation network. And it will we'll look at some scenarios of how we program in projects that will address some of that, um, those challenges. This, this plan development is the first time in, in that process we're going to do a mode split model, which means we will be able to hopefully convey and tell the story um, to you know uh, to the to the public and our elected officials um, and advisory committees about how investments in multimodal investments like transit and transit service are going to impact the. Uh, level of service that we would see in the vehicle miles traveled across our region in the model. And so we'll be able to hopefully show some trade-offs about prioritizing resources and, and investments. And so at a high level, um, we'll work to work with all of the local governments who have regionally significant projects to make sure they get added to the list and um, are considered um, as part of this in terms of what they already have in their capital improvement plans and what's kind of that next phase of project. I want to be sensitive of time. We're nearing on that. I'd like to get into the survey really quick. Is everybody doing okay on time? 
Okay, go ahead, Paul. All right, so here's the survey that's that we've developed for the general public. So I'll just run through these and similarly pause Paul, for each one. Go ahead. Could you make it a little bit bigger? Sure. Thanks. Num so number one, how do you transport yourself to different places, grocery store, shopping, restaurants, appointments, work, and select all that apply? Bicycling, drive myself, public transportation, ride from friend or family, ride sharing apps such as Uber or Lyft, walking or other. Next question, if you walk, bicycle, ride transit, carpool or van pool, what are your main reasons for doing so? Cost, cost or time savings, convenience, do not want to worry about parking, health reasons, increase physical activity, improve air quality, environmental reasons, save wear and tear on personal vehicle or other. It might be good to add save gas right now. <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of the cost savings up here, yeah. This is August Wittesfeld, PTAC. Just on that last note, it, just because as a daily writer, when I was a daily writer, it, and I think for a lot of the people on the buses with me, it was for a lack of availability of our own personal vehicles. So I don't know if that, I mean, obviously that would be an other issue, but if it could be listed as opposed to having to write it in as an other, that might help. Right. I think we could maybe list uh, something like that. Yeah. If you drive yourself to work, what are your main reasons for doing so? Cost or time savings, convenience, do not want to worry about parking, health reasons, increased physical activity. Well, this one we actually need to strike, but uh, just be potentially health or accessibility type limitations. Improve air quality, environmental reasons, uh, save wear and tear on personal vehicle, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we maybe have some issues on, on, on this question on the, the, the options here, but the motivation here is again, we're finding out the motivation for, for driving. Number four, how important should each of the following factors be when policymakers are developing transportation policies and plans for Lawrence Douglas County region and rate them one to five. Improve safety for all users of the transportation system, make travel times more reliable, provide convenient and useful travel choices besides driving alone, reduces negative impacts on natural or built environment, reduce traffic congestion, support economy and freight movement. Hey, Paul, so this, this is, is this Josh. Is, uh, my uh, question is, uh, 
would uh, alternative travel methods would be a good thing to also have on some of these? I think that's possible, Josh. I think that all the comments that you had about the stakeholder, the stakeholder interview question in relation to these options probably also apply here, which would, I think that we have a, a bunch of different ones. So about vulnerable populate, you know, I don't know. We'll figure out which ones should be important, but serving vulnerable populations, expanding uh, active transportation or for physical activity, affordability, like whatever we end up with on the other side, we would end up with here too. Until we run out of space on the paper. So these, these next few questions get into mode specific and in, in how, how satisfied people are. Um, so number five, how satisfied are you with your typical auto car experience, one to five? And then follow-up question to that is select the the options that are that are impacting your satisfaction costs drivers do not follow rules of the road parking roads are in need of repair travel time is longer than it should be do not own a car uh, do not have a driver's license so paul will interrupt just a second to say for um the history when we did transportation 2040 um, with some slight modification to some of these responses um, all of these satisfaction by mode questions were a part of our survey so we will be able to cross tabulate that from the feedback we got in uh, for transportation 2040 which i think will also be interesting to see how based on the things that we know that have happened since 2017 if there has been any shift in some of those satisfaction again self-selected survey so it's still just giving us a big picture but i think we'll be fascinated to see that so this is pat Collette. it seems like with all of these mode questions as far as satisfaction and the way that the answers are structured is that we're really asking why are they not satisfied so they're all basically on the negative side correct rather than because I you know I looked at the the rating of, of satisfaction and then when you ask so if you said you were highly satisfied say a five and then the impact your auto selection uh, auto car satisfaction and then their their negative ones that so, you know I, I, that's that's probably fine it just kind of struck me when I first started kind of going through those and um, thinking well you know those you know there's not a, a, a way to kind of satisfy the you know one side that you're satisfied and then when you're answering these, um, you know, you have to indicate that you're somehow dissatisfied. And this is August Rudisho, PTAC. I just don't really understand the, the goal of this question or as far as what you're trying to obtain from the survey taker. It, and you may have explained that already, Jessica, and I'm sorry, or Paul, but what are you hoping to capture data-wise for the purposes of this committee? Yeah, so I think... Um, a little bit for each of these modes to understand what 
people may impact their satisfaction. I think Pat's right. You'll see some people on the high end may say they're satisfied or, dis or dissatisfied on the other end based on these. And this is kind of to maybe understand where that, why, why that score falls where it does. And you have to kind of dive a little bit into those a little more to see what's high or low. But I think the intent is to understand what someone's experience, like what impacts that satisfaction. So thinking about, um, that in terms of solutions to some of those things, um, you know, somebody in a car might say still, you know, my satisfaction is for, but I don't, you know, but the roads are in need of repair. So we think about how operations and maintenance of our assets impacts versus travel time, which is a congestion issue. So I think it's starting to understand what's the issue, because I don't think we're trying to ask people for What's the solution that could make your satisfaction higher, but it's which things do you have concern or issue with that kind of leads us to get into a situation where we can understand where the user is coming from in terms of in terms of solution. So you may have low satisfaction with automobile, but you also, we see you don't own a car and don't have a driver's license. So now we need to think about other modes as a solution, and maybe we're not really impacting your automobile satisfaction, but we could see how you rated some of those other modes when you said you didn't have access to those things. So I think they kind of, I don't think they can just be looked at alone. I think high level, it gives us a kind of just good gut picture check about where people are on that line, but um, understanding what things may impact that kind of gives us that idea. And I think people who have very specific things um, will use the text box other and fill something in for us um, that aren't some of these higher level things. So next question is how satisfied are you with your typical uh, bicycling experience one to five? And then again, what uh, what is affecting your satisfaction, uh, cost effectiveness, the bicycle network is incomplete, bicycle routes, lanes, or paths need repair, difficult to transport children, others, groceries, larger items, do not know the rules of the road, destination too far away, parking, route does not feel safe, it is difficult, or I'm physically unable. Does, does parking on that one mean that you don't have to worry about parking a vehicle or that there aren't enough um, bike racks? That parking is confusing. We should it should go both ways. I mean, if there's not enough parking, then it makes you feel that it's bad. If there is plenty of parking, then you're happy. Bike parking or vehicle parking? It'd have to be bike parking there. Okay. Sure. Well, just the some of them. Are, the first one is positive. The others are negative, and I wasn't sure if parking was good or bad. So it's. I think it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, I think we can we can add to parking. Yeah. To, yeah. to clarify, you might. Uh, this is Pat You might also might want to consider adding. You know, if we're looking at lack of satisfaction in turn or a reason they wouldn't bike would be bike security, you know, so mm -hmm. it's not only parking, but you're parking there and you're not sure that 
the bike's going to be there. So, you know, that that's sometimes a reason for that. Yeah, great point. Andy, I'm going to interrupt and ask if you have uh, share the conversation we had you had in the, with me in the chat. I feel like I've been running my mouth too much, so I put it in chat to add some balance. <laughs> okay, it's really valuable to this conversation, so I would like you to. I mean, I'm happy to read it too, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I um, I just always try to when I write a grant RFPs or um, in a previous role in, at the state working to write strategic plans and needs assessments for the state. Um, I look to the Hemingway app. Um, and right to like a seventh grade level. So when I look at this and I personally struggle with some of the language and have to intentionally think about what it means um, on, on not a specific question, but all of them, I, I think that we should look to the language that our audience is using. Um, policymakers, um, uh, what are some of the others? There, there's there's a lot of terms throughout that I think are are written in a way that content experts understand, but the the public, this being a, a front facing public survey, um, we might want to speak to um, how do you get around town or um, how you know what are your thoughts about your vehicle type stuff? Just just more conversational and less technical. Thank you. I think that's helpful for us to remember. And it's a good check that I think as we try to be more inclusive, um, that we go back and revise our tools. Because we had a lot of conversation about these, both just internal staff and um, with our staff advisors in terms of some of those same issues. Like, are these supposed to be positive? Are they supposed to be negative? Do we, we want to I think get insight about what things may be impacted it. Like if they have low satisfaction of that, how we could work on some strategies to address those things. We may not get all of that from these things. Um, as you see, you know, kind of into this, I think that really gets us back to some other feedback we've had in some other planning work where maybe simple or open-ended is, is better. Um, then maybe we need to reflect on that a little bit more. And David here, if I may, um, just from the standpoint of survey design and how you expect to tabulate this information, it could be really helpful. First of all, it's this kind of a draft of a, a document that people will be filling out, or is this kind of an outline for a survey that's going to be uh, delivered, say, online? Both. Okay. And the reason I ask is because I've noticed these little boxes that say do not use or whatever. And I think it would be easy for someone taking, doing, a, you know, filling this out themselves to miss that. Uh, so I, it, from that standpoint, I think it would be helpful to have something like, do you ride a bike or, you know, and then if yes, then answer this, do you, you know, do you walk, do you take transit? Because otherwise people who don't have any direct experience with these things might go ahead and fill these things out, giving kind of false information uh, that would influence how you compile. 
the, yeah. the service. And we have some ability to do that in the online version, of course, but mm -hmm. the reality of that is even in the last plan process, that was an 18 month process that we collected over 1600 surveys from, the majority of the responses are gonna be in paper. We're gonna talk to people where they are and um, that's at events and in, while they're in line places and that means paper. So um, yeah, we struggle with that sometimes. I mean, you guys are like, like you've said, Jessica, you've been through this several times, but my, my suggestion would be something like, you know, do you ride a bicycle? If not, please skip this question, you know, and then uh, it's something that just moves people along. If this isn't something they can offer useful information. On. Yeah, this is Pat Clad. I think the only difficulty with that would be that, you know, with the bicycle for, as an example, they, if you ask them, do if do you ride a bicycle, and and if they don't, then don't answer these questions. I mean, there may be reasons why they don't. You know, sure. we kind of want to know why they don't. But but I think I I take your point, and I think there's a way to, you know, to get both of those. You know, mm. asking them whether they ride it, ride Good one point. or not, and mm. and uh, and then still. You know, it, are there reasons why not, or you know, some way to get to that? Because right. and same with walking or transit. You know, they're the same thing. You know, you, you don't know. It, it would be helpful to ask them if they're yeah. currently using those modes, and then, you know, why not? <laughs> or would you use it more, and that kind of thing. That's a really good point, Pat. And something else that occurs to me is just from the standpoint of clarity: Do you do something? isn't particularly helpful. You might want to say, have you ridden a bike in the last year, in the last month, in the last mm -hmm. week? Um, so that you have, you know, a, yeah, across the, the, the population of the, or the sample of the, of the survey, you've get, you get a clear, uh, you know, in, insight into frequency. Yeah. Jessica, can I just add to that real quick? Andy here. Um, Survey design is a science, um, mm -hmm. and I think it's it's really a big ask of the city um, to ask your department to develop these types of surveys to deliver um, the the information that that's accurate and would inform these things properly. Um, it, it's it's asking you all to to do a service that's outside um, your your job description. Um, so if I would I would suggest if the city has funding for it that they they provide you with um, someone that could could design a survey um, and and help you because de designing a survey by committee is not going to be helpful um, and I but I do love I do love the transportation input sessions at the library it's it's some of my favorite city nerd input type type stuff. Um, but I really, it is a big ask to put on you guys and you, you shouldn't have to, to do this. Um, well, I appreciate that, Mandy, but it's an expectation of our role as planners to conduct public engagement, which includes creating the tools and the questions we will, we ask the public. And so I think over time we are learning that, but across the organization, that's how engagement with the community is done. That's how it's done across a lot of communities and other groups yeah. and organizations. So that may be a fault of the structure, but it's the resources we have to work with to do this work. Uh -huh. 
but and if there isn't funding, that's that's a, that's it's irrelevant. Um, but but it is a big ask. It is it is something we should acknowledge that survey design is a science. Um, and I think uh, what Pat was speaking to Pat and David's conversation um, might be addressed through narrative feedbacks, um, people's experiences and stories, which don't um, lend quantitative data. Um, you get qualitative data, but there is a lot to be gleaned from that. Um, and uh, the CPPR department at KU who's doing the homelessness needs assessment does have some resources and tools on how to develop surveys um, and also take qualitative information and turn it into quantitative. Um, that could be a really, could help design a very, very um, insightful could, could, could get some really insightful results um, and help help you all out and take some of that off your plate. Mandy, this is Allison Smith with KDOT. And the MPO does have funding for this whole process. It just depends on how the MPO chooses to spend it. So there, there is funding for survey development, public participation. Um, it's just depending on how um, the MPO chose to allocate it. So that is part of at all, so. Well, I will move on to the next question. How satisfied are you with your typical transit experience? Again, one to five rating, and then options affecting that satisfaction, cost to ride, difficult to get to from bus stop, Difficult to transport children, others, groceries, large items, does not feel safe and or comfortable. Lack of amenities such as bus shelter and benches. Routes do not go where I want to. Schedule does not, my, excuse me, schedule does not meet my needs. Takes too much time. Unfamiliar with routes or how to use transit. It is difficult or I am physically unable. And then lastly, on the mode questions, how satisfied are you with your typical walking experience? And then the options, cost-effective, difficult to transport children, others, groceries, large items, distance to my destination is too far, driver is going too fast, driver is not watching for or yielding to people crossing streets or sidewalks, sidewalk network does not meet my accessibility needs, sidewalk network is incomplete, Sidewalks are in need of repair. And then we ask how your transportation habits have changed since COVID-19 pandemic. And this is just an open-ended open question mm -hmm. to try and get a feel for that. Is there anything else you would like to share about transportation issues or priorities? Again, open-ended. And then the next uh, 10 questions are more demographic to understand who's answering these the surveys. 
We do ask for the nearest cross streets of where people live and work, um, employment status. If you're a student, which, um, which school you attend, approximate household income, number of vehicles in the household, age range, um, sex or, or gender, race, ethnicity, and then asking if there are any health conditions or limitations that affect access to transportation. And that, that's, that's a survey. So any, any thoughts or questions on those uh, more demographic questions? Does the, um, I can't see the school question. Does that include any um, schools outside of the area? Um, it oh yeah, does. it does. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I see that, thank you. On the gender question, is that using like a standardized set of options? Because I, I get that I understand wanting to be inclusive and allowing people to fill in what their answer is if they choose other, but I get the feeling that if you're going to pick other, you're probably not going to be finding too many people that select that and it's not going to be very readily generalizable to anybody else. Yeah, I think these edits were based on some research we have done just to try to be as inclusive as possible. Remember, both on paper and um, on our online survey, all of the survey questions are optional. So people can also choose not to answer the question. And we do the analysis kind of on each question as we go. And we do that on the online survey because on the paper survey, there's no choice. You can just skip a question if you don't want to answer it. And so to kind of make it equal in that regard, we don't require. Um, you to answer any of the questions. You could come and just answer selectively the ones you want. And so um, we can go back and look at that, but that was reflective of some research we had done. It's really, that demographic is really for us to understand there's some research behind uh, participation um, in terms of uh, uh, genders and some of that is indicative if you can cross tabulate that in relationship to some of the bike ped experiences um, and some differences in scores. And so some of that value is that value in, the, in those responses. So um, most of that research traditionally has based on been based on the traditional uh, classifications of the male and female genders um, for some of that safety research. But that's one of the reasons why we have this in here. It's also interesting in our survey work, um, we are more likely to get a higher percentage of women to take our survey. I think they're more sympathetic to us in person when we ask people to take time. And so we want to be thoughtful um, that people that tr traditionally have indicated female, that we also have a good representation across um, some of the vulnerable populations in our community. So if we could get rid of any questions, if you were thinking about if you make this survey simpler and to ask some more open-ended stuff, um, questions, 
if I'm going to put that back on you to think about which ones would you think have the least value to us um, if we were thinking about that in terms of just time and um, that we're asking from four people to thoughts about that. I need to think about that and email you. <laughs> okay. Jessica, it's Allison at KDOT. They're all good questions. I think that it's just having all the options there um, on the written form that make it look a little challenging, a little daunting, because there's not really a lot of questions. So I don't know that any would really need to be taken off. It's just having all the options on there. And I don't know how to really deal with that necessarily. I don't know if had an, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, if you were gonna re reply to her, please go ahead. Nope, you're fine, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just because uh, Mike and I have served on the PTAC committee and I've been on route redesign committee as well, I just, these questions kind of get seem to get repeated. Is this clear and definitive that it's, this is separate from like a route redesign questionnaire or the P or just the general transit questionnaire that Adam's been doing all year long? Because the portion of this looks just like other questionnaires I've taken or seen in the last six months. I don't want people to see this and think this is just a repeat or kind of derivative of another questionnaire they've already done and just skip it all together. Yeah, so as part of our staff review, we had a conversation with um, our transit staff um, to weigh in on this because even though they've done some specific work, a lot of that work will be incorporated at a high level into this plan and we don't mean to recreate that work. Um, and so we have to be particularly in regard to transit. It's interesting because a lot of stuff will be changing in the midst of us doing this work um, over the timeline in terms of transit center relocation or construction and route redesign changes. So it puts us in a weird place kind of for that timeline, but this process is always continuing. And so it usually is always when we're developing this plan that that is the case for some other mode specific plan or something else that's in process. Um, but we'll go back to them again and, and maybe take a look at them next to each other to kind of see where we're at. In, Thank response, you, in response to Allison's question, I think that's kind of our um, um, 
that's kind of our role to see about, you know, where we are in terms of we get a lot of comments from the public. So we'll have some people take this and see how long it takes to take this. So we want to give people a reasonable expectation if we're asking them, like, do you have five or 10 minutes? And it takes different people, different amounts of time, I think, to really weigh in just a quick response versus, you know, some more thought to this process. And we get some different um, phases and maybe that diving into it a little more with people um, getting some um, user experiences would be valuable. And so we'll, we should we should think about how we may be able to do that also. Um. And this is Pat Collette, and I just would like to follow up on August's um, comment and that, you know, there may be some redundancy, say, for instance, the route redesign, but the, the uh, population that's taking this survey won't necessarily be the same. And so, you know, and someone who would choose to, to take a route redesign survey versus one that's talking about all kinds of multimodal transportation, I think would be, uh, would be somewhat different. So I think while there probably are some redundancies, I'm not sure that it's avoidable, you know, to get, um, you know, to get those questions and, and to be able to compare the answers among among the modes. Pat, that's a great point, especially because you know those surveys. August, the one we're talking about, was really Lawrence specific, and we're going to be talking um, across the whole county and in all of the jurisdictions. So, but we'll still take a look at that and understand because I think we wanted to be really sensitive to that because there's possible other future survey work that. Um, transit will be doing too. And so we'll, we'll follow up with them. So as you can see, that's kind of what we had on the agenda as we start to talk about some of this work. Um, we have traditionally done this plan in-house for the last few years. Um, our funding funds our salaries and we've chosen to do that in-house with a, just a travel demand modeling consultant. That's a part of this process that we don't have in-house um, expertise to run a model um, and do, and it's a requirement we have in the planning process. So um, we really appreciate this conversation and some of this evolution of this process as planners, um, as we try to do this work and have these conversations in our community. It's, um, I do think, you're right, it is a science and we try to keep getting better at it and we may not be perfect, but we're trying to tell the story and make sure that we have a diverse reflection of voices and interests um, through this process. So thank you for bearing with us for what um, that uh, process. I'd be happy to entertain any other questions you may have um, about this planning process or about the work we're gonna do. We will be on our way to doing this and hope uh, to schedule a next meeting using a need to meet. Um, the city is um, moving to hybrid meetings. So there will be an option likely for in-person uh, attendance the next time we host a meeting. So there will be an option to attend virtually or um, in person. So I just wanna point that out, but I will ha be happy to entertain any other questions you may have. Um, otherwise, we can be done this evening. Thoughts? Let's get Mandy and Field here. Just one quick question. Um, in, in survey um, uh, efforts, will there be any um, incentives to 
help unheard voices or, or folks who might not have free time? Will there be any incentives to help them um, share their opinion, like gift cards or like the health department did with the vaccine and testing stuff? Um, we're going to have that conversation. To my knowledge, the city doesn't have a compensation policy for surveys um, that would kind of fall under that. Um, it's my understanding our federal funding is not eligible to incentivize um, that type of uh, response to surveys. So that limits us a little bit in what we can do. Um, there's been some, I've never seen a city department issue a survey and offer incentive rewards for it unless a contractor is involved. So we need to follow up with that, but I have noticed that and asked that question because I think it's inconsistent in our expectations of people um, to do that regardless where we fall on compensation. Like sustainability plan, um, had a contractor and their contractor offered incentive. Um, but I haven't seen that for any, I've asked that question and I will follow up on that. Yeah, well, just um, to, to get it on the record, then um, I would, as a, as a uh, whatever we're doing, steering committee member, um, recommend that the city offers funding um, to incentivize unheard voices and folks who might not have access or opportunity to complete surveys without um, without some support, and that it is a best practice, and um, and it's well established that that folks' time, people's time, should be compensated, especially um, uh, the voices I think that are important to this. Thank you. I think that's helpful, and I think it's part of a larger conversation, even if it does or doesn't happen as part of this process. I think as an organization, there's bodies across the organization that are interested in having that conversation. So um, we will make sure others are aware of that and see what opportunities we may have through this process. Okay. If nobody has anything else, I thank you for your time tonight. We will be in touch as we're as we are ready to move forward and continue this work. And we have some um, next steps to present to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you.